Good morning. It's good to see you guys. So glad that you're here. Uh, we want to welcome each and every one of you guys. And um, I want to talk to you today a little bit about intentions. Uh, I think it's a mistake when organizations or governments or anybody, really for that matter, uh, leaves people in the dark about what their intentions are. And so just real briefly, I want to talk to you for just a second about what our intentions are, what we're trying to accomplish. Christ Church, real simple, is about real hope for real people. It's real hope for real people. And what that, what that means, real people, it's messy. Real people, we have problems. Real people, we come in here and we've had a bad week and we don't always, aren't always in a good mood and we don't always have all of our ducks in a row and sometimes we make mistakes. It's messy. The Bible says, Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble. That's real people. Real people is you come in here and there's things going on in your life and some of you are tore up, some of you are jacked up, some of you are broke up, you know, and, and it's, that's life. But here's the real hope. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. Here's the hope. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. And so what we're about is connecting real people that have real problems with the real hope that is Jesus. And the way we do that is we gather on Sunday morning and we worship him. We sing out to him. Last week, the kids led us in worship and it touched my heart. And one of the things that I saw in the kids that I don't always see in you guys is they were there was no inhibitions. They got up here and they poured their hearts out and they sang with everything in them and they raised their little hands to Jesus. And, and I think a lot of us, man, we've got so much to praise God for, don't we? Hasn't he been good to you? And he showed up so many times and we're hesitant. There's, there's part of us like, you know, I wanna go up to the altar, not because there's anything wrong, but just because I wanna praise Jesus for how good he's been, but I'm scared of what people are gonna say and think. I wanna raise my hands and worship, but I'm scared of what people are gonna say and think. And we have so many inhibitions when it comes to worshiping Jesus. David, the king, the king of the nation, he's celebrating as the, the ark is going into the capital city and he's dancing and his wife comes to him and he sa she says, that's, that's uh, embarrassing that you would act like that. And David said something I wish we would say. He said, I will become even more undignified than this in praise of my God. And so we come and I want you to connect with Jesus in such a real way when you're here. That's what the worship is about. Give him the praise that he's due. And then we open up God's word and the Holy Spirit comes and ministers to us. When we open God's word, it's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it penetrates to the deepest part of your soul and speaks to you exactly what you need to hear. And so that's how we want you to connect with Jesus through his word that's trustworthy and true forever and ever. Amen? And so that's what we do on Sunday morning. And then we, we, we take these emblems to remind us that Jesus came in bodily form. I mean, actually a man, fully man, just like me and you, tempted in every way but never sinned. And he made himself so real to us. He didn't have to do that. And so we're reminded every, every week of his body broken for us, his blood spilled for us because we want you to connect with Jesus in a very tangible way. And so we, we believe you connect with Jesus, there's hope there, but this isn't all we do. And I think this is where a lot of people, they miss, miss if all you ever experience with Christ Church is what happens on Sunday morning, it's actually less than what God wants for you. And that's why all summer we've had these posters on the wall. And these posters are just connection opportunities. It's just a way for you to connect with your church family. And this is what I'm learning. I turned 40, I'm a lot wiser now. This is what I'm learning. I'm learning I need people in my life 
that will come put their arm around me when I'm hurting. I need, I don't, I'm, I'm the preacher of this church. I'm not perfect. You need to know that. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm flawed. I'm limited. And so I need you guys, when I'm down, I need y'all to pick me up. I need, I need somebody to come kick me in the pants every now and again. I need somebody to smack me upside the head. And sometimes I need somebody to just come give me a hug. You need that too. You need that too. And that's not going to happen. Listen, that's not going to happen in a deep, spiritual, intimate, Christ-like way if you don't get out of your bubble and connect with other people in this room. And so this is what we do with these connection groups. It's just a chance for you to get to know your faith family. And it's how we go from just being a church. We don't want to just be a church. We don't want that. We don't want to just be this place where you come and you get a concert and a TED Talk every week. That's not what we want. We want to be a faith family. And so these connection groups take us from being a church to being a faith family. This August, we got some really cool opportunities we're going to play golf we got a golf scramble planned august 14th how many of you like to play golf i'm not even good but i like to get out there so we got a little sign up sheet for that we're also going to go on a hike which i'm super excited about it august 21st we're going to go on a hike at the gorge ending with miguel's pizza how could you ask for a better day and so i'd encourage you to sign up for that we've got several opportunities and then in september uh we're actually planning a, a potluck and talent showcase for the beginning of September. And so if you, got, if you like to sing, if you like to play an instrument, maybe you know a magic trick, maybe you can quilt, maybe you can paint, whatever your talent is, we wanna show it off on that Sunday. And so just, and, it, and then we're gonna launch it into uh, Bible-centric, Bible prayer-centric connection groups in September. A lot of exciting things. I want you to be a part of it. Now this segues, I think, into our passage today. Um, and, and I think a lot of people are confused. They get confused about Jesus's intentions. What, what did Jesus actually come to accomplish on this earth? And a lot of people, they don't really know the answer to that. And so they fill in the blank of that uncertainty. They fill in the blank with the wrong thing. And then when you fill in the blank of what Jesus's intentions are with the wrong thing, you're going to be disappointed in Jesus because Jesus is not a God who is made in your image. Actually, you are a person made in his image. And what we need to do is line ourselves up to the agenda of God as opposed to trying to make God fit in the box of our agenda. Do you see the difference? And so I think this passage today is going to help us to do that. Let's all stand together in honor of the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, Jesus sighed deeply and said, Apephatha, that is, be open. Immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one. But the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. I pray today that you will more clearly see what Jesus' intentions are for this world and for your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for my friends that have gathered here today. I pray a blessing on each and every one. Thank you for everybody that's watching online. Lord, meet us where we are in our life. Speak to us the things that we need to hear. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place and online and in me. God, I need you to speak today. I'm worn out, uh, and, and Lord, I, I don't have the energy, so I need you, the Holy Spirit, to come and do what I can't do. 
Lord, I pray that this word falls on fertile soil. I pray it takes root in a good heart, and I pray that it produces fruit in this world. As you stand there with your eyes closed and your head bowed, pray a prayer, something like this. Father, speak to me. I'm ready to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can be seated. Verse 31, Jesus leaves from the region of Tyre and by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. Uh, I, I love how Mark, he includes a lot of locations and he gives the name. He's very specific about it. The reason Mark does that, he wants to put Jesus in historical, physical location. And uh, it, it helps us to see that this isn't some like fairy tale that somebody made up. This is actual historical events that we're reading. Uh, this place culturally and historically, uh, for Mark's audience, they'll pick up on it real quickly. This is godless country. This is a region right here that uh, they worship demons. Uh, they worship idols. Part of their worship is uh, prostitution in their temples. There's all sorts of sexual depravity that goes on in these places of worship to these false gods. And then we've also got in these regions child sacrifice. The region of Tyre, I told you last week, remember, the region of Tyre is a place where Baal worship was originated. Baal worship, a key component of Baal worship was child sacrifice. And so that's what's happening in this region. And Jesus goes there and he's in the midst of all that, these people that are either ignorant or hostile towards the God of the Bible. And this is where Jesus is. It's an interesting directional note that Mark makes here that Jesus leaves from the region of Tyre he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of Decapolis. So, directional note, if you punch in your Google Maps, how many of you use Google Maps? How many of you are iMaps people? We're brave, iMaps people. It drives you into the sea. But if you are on iMaps, if you're on iMaps and you're going from Tyre to Decapolis, it is southeast. That's the direction. If you're going to walk in a straight line, you're going to go southeast. But Jesus didn't go southeast. Actually, he goes, he's going to Decapolis, but he goes through, went by way of Sidon. Here's the thing about Sidon from Tyre. It's not southeast. That's the direction you're trying to get. It's actually north. Jesus is going in the opposite direction of the way that most people would go. And so I'm sure some of you, probably like me, you would probably try and correct Jesus, say, hey, we're going the wrong direction. But that's neither here nor there. Interesting directional note. Uh, this, is, this trip's going to take them a, a, quite a bit longer than it would if they just went in a straight line. I think there's a couple things going on here. Number one, Jesus is making time to train his disciples. Uh, these disciples are going to be the very first preachers of the gospel. And so Jesus wants to make sure he spends some time teaching them exactly what it means to follow Christ, teaching them exactly what God is doing in this mission that he's on. And so he's preparing, this is like a walking seminary, uh, this, this little trip they're on. Also, this gives Jesus time to rest and recoup. You understand that he is entering into the last leg of his mission. The last leg of his mission is increased persecution. It's re increased hostility from demonic forces. And it ends with Jesus walking up Mount Calvary and getting nailed to a tree. And so he's resting up. He knows that's coming. He's resting up right now. This is a time for him to just let off the gas a little bit, get his energy back. And finally, it's an opportunity for him to minister to godless people. And that's what we're going to see today. Verse 32. They brought to him a deaf man who had def difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. 
Now, um, because this man, he could, he could speak, it says that he had difficulty speaking. It wasn't that he couldn't speak. It's that when he spoke, it was hard to understand what he said. Now, that's a little bit of a clue that this man probably in child, uh, during his children, years as a child, uh, he lost his hearing. So he was probably born able to hear at some point, probably early on in childhood, he got a virus and then that took that virus because they weren't able to treat viruses back in those days. It just took its natural course, went all the way to the end, and it destroyed his hearing. And so now when he speaks, he can't hear the words that he's saying. It comes out weird, and people have a hard time understanding him. And so he's deaf, old school language, deaf and dumb. Uh, being a deaf man in the ancient world was a curse. Jewish culture, they had the Bible, the word of God, to kind of keep them reined in from being really evil people, but they didn't treat deaf people very well. Uh, one of the things just in Jewish culture, they were unable to participate in temple worship. They were banned from the synagogue. People looked at, 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 um, at those that had, were hard of hearing or deaf, they looked at them as if they were unclean, as if they were cursed by God. In the godless world, they were even more cruel to deaf people. Um, history, Native American history teaches us that Native Americans, if they found somebody that was deaf, they considered them to be a monster and they would execute them right on the spot. And so this is a very difficult season to be a deaf person. Even today with sign language and hearing aids, there's a stigma attached to deafness and, and hard of hearing, isn't there? That's why many of you know, and maybe you are this person, uh, especially this, this happens in men a lot, they get older and they have a hard time hearing, but they put off forever and ever and ever getting a hearing aid. Haven't you known somebody like that? Because there's a stigma attached to being hard of hearing. There's a stigma attached to being deaf. Uh, that's why sometimes many of you, uh, you, you have a hard time understanding what somebody says. And after you've asked them once or twice what they said, uh, you still don't know what they're saying. You just kind of smile and nod. You ever do that? It's like, I have no idea. <laughs> just agree with whatever. Why? Because there's a little bit of a stigma. It's kind of embarrassing, isn't it, when you can't hear people? There's a stigma attached to it. And so chances are for this man in the ancient world, he tried to be invisible. You ever tried to be invisible before? It's just like you don't want to be noticed. You don't, you don't want to, like, you're trying to just disappear in a crowd. And that's probably what this man felt like. Um, he didn't want to be noticed didn't want to struggle to have a conversation. He didn't want to have to do one of those hand gestures. He didn't want to have to go through all that. And so this is a man that just wanted to be invisible. Good for this man that he had friends. He had friends that brought him, that's what it says, it brought him to Jesus. Now this word brought in the Greek is a word that it kind of is not really violent, but it's like very intentional. It's in a way, it's kind of aggressive. Like they took him by the arm. He didn't really want to go. He just wanted to be invisible in a crowd, but these, his friends dragged him to Jesus and threw him before Jesus. This is the language Mark's using. And they begged Jesus on this man's behalf, begged Jesus to heal him. I wonder today, have you surrounded yourself with friends who will speak for you when you can't speak? Have you surrounded yourself with friends who will pray for you when you don't have the energy to pray? Have you surrounded yourself with friends who will be your strength when you've lost all your strength? That's what we're trying to accomplish with these connection groups. That's what we're trying to accomplish in our faith family, that we have those kind of friends. You don't have to go in search of them. They're right here in this room. Amen? That's what we're trying to accomplish. Make sure you've surrounded yourself 
with those kind of friends. Verse 33, so he took him, Jesus took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, I want you to notice here how personal, how personal Jesus gets. He takes him away from the crowd. It's just just the two of them now. This is a man who probably didn't want to be in a crowd. He was embarrassed about being in a crowd because he can't hear and he can't speak. And when he does speak, it sounds like mumble. And so this is a man that, that feels more comfortable being in a small environment. And so Jesus pulls him away from the crowd. And now it's just this man and Jesus one on one. It gets personal. And Jesus puts his, his fingers in the man's ears. This is, gets kind of weird, doesn't it? Can you envision this? It gets kind of weird. His, Jesus got his fingers in this man's ears. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is speaking to the man who can't speak. He's communicating with the man who can't hear. This is what we see with Jesus' actions right here. This is sign language. And so when he puts his his fingers in the man's ears, this is what he's saying to the man. He's saying, I know what's wrong. You're not cursed. There's not not something wrong with you inherently. You haven't done something evil and God is punishing you. No, I know exactly what's wrong. Nobody else knows. Everybody else has it confused, but I know what's going on. I've got my fingers in your ears because I know it's your ears that are the problem. And then Jesus goes on. I love this. He spits, which is kind of gross, Right? It's kind of gross, but in the ancient world, this man would have picked up on it immediately because in the ancient world, saliva was associated with healing. Now, Jesus didn't need the spit to heal the man. We saw last week, Jesus didn't even have to say anything and he healed this woman's daughter who was in another region altogether, wasn't even in Jesus's presence. So it's not like Jesus is limited in his power and he needed the spit to help him heal this man. Actually, this spit is more sign language. This is a way for Jesus to say, I know what's wrong, but I'm about to heal you. Then he goes on. He touched his tongue. Jesus is saying, okay, your ears are the problem. I'm going to heal you, and then you'll be able to speak. It's a sign language. See how personal Jesus is communicating with this man in exactly the way the man would understand. How personal. Jesus is a great physician. And that's what great physicians do, isn't it? They come into the room, and they explain to you, this is what's going to happen. Maybe you, you remember old school doctors, they'd have that stethoscope that they kept in the freezer before they put it on your skin, right? And right before they stick it on you, they're like, okay, this is going to be a little bit cold. And it's like, my heart racing, you know? If my, if my blood pressure sides because of that stupid stethoscope. I had a heart procedure a couple of years ago and I was pretty chill about it until I got into the room and the attending physician came in. He started explaining to me all they're going to do. He's like, we're going to have an incision right here and then we're going to use this device and it's going to crawl up and it's going to do all this stuff. And then there's an instrument that we're going to open up in your heart. And he said, you know, there's a one in 7,000 chance you'll die, but I think you'll be okay. <laughs> I'm like, just shut up and get this thing over with. But that's, that's what Jesus is doing right here. He's explaining to this man, the great physician, explaining to this man who's not been able to get help any other place, who has no hope, who just wants to be invisible, just wants to disappear. Jesus explained to him, I know what's wrong. I know what's wrong, and I'm about to heal you, and you'll be able to speak. Verse 34, looking up to heaven. This is more sign language. Looking up to heaven, Jesus is telling this man where the healing power is coming from. It's not coming from the elemental forces. That's what his pagan theology, this is a man living in godless culture, 
all sorts of idols, all sorts of demons that are worshipped. And, and so they have this idea that there's, there's certain waters that are healing. There's certain, you know, oils that were be healing. You know, you could go through all this. And Jesus is saying, no, the healing power doesn't come from the elemental forces. It doesn't come from the intellect of men. It actually comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. He looks up to heaven and then he sighs, deeply sighs. Now, here's the thing about people that are hard of hearing and death. They have great vision, right? Because if, if you're hard of hearing or death, it's like one of your other senses pick up so that you can kind of navigate this world. And so they have really keen eyes and they pick up on the smallest little details. And so this deaf man would have immediately picked up on what Jesus is doing right here. As Jesus sighs, it's one of those sighs of sympathy. Isn't that what we do when our heart hurts for somebody? I was reading this week on Facebook of a, a young lady here in our community, and she, she had this issue with her brain. It was some sort of a cancer. They thought they had it licked, and then it's all, it's all come back. And so they're, they're like kind of on their, one of their last treatment options. And I read that, and my heart just broke for this girl. You've experienced that. And this was my response. As I'm reading that, it was a, you ever do that? Just a, because there's this, this pain inside of you and you got to let it out and it just comes out in a sigh. And that's what Jesus is doing here in this moment. He stands, he's looking this man in the eye. He puts his fingers in his ears and he says, I know what's wrong with you. And he spits on the ground and he touches the man's tongue and he's saying, I'm going to heal you. And as he's looking in his eyes, he looks up to heaven. This is where the healing's coming from. And he's looking in his eyes and he sighs and he says, I know this hurts. And I know this has been a long journey for you. And I know you've run out of hope, but I want you to know I'm hurting for you. How personal. I know what's wrong, Jesus saying. I know how hard it's been. It hurts me that you're hurting. And then with one word, verse 35, immediately his ears were open, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. With one word, immediately, not progressively, not after speech therapy, not after some hearing aid was installed, not after a surgery, immediately his ears were open. His tongue was bound. And with one word, Jesus pulls the shackles off. And now this man who couldn't speak at all, who struggled speaking in any way, now he speaks clearly, the scriptures say. Other translations use the word there perfectly. You know any people, and they're like very super quiet, but every now and again, they'll say something, and whatever they say, it's one of those things that like you want to pull out a notepad and just write it down because there's so much wisdom and power in that. You know those kind of people, and as, as soon as they start talking, it's like, okay, I'm tuning in because this guy is about to come with some knowledge, right? You know those people? This is a man who's not talked his whole life. Now Jesus has supernaturally healed him and empowered him to speak clearly to speak perfectly to speak beautifully imagine the wonderful things this man has to say but look at verse 36 jesus ordered them to tell no one <laughs> what that's not cool i've got three daughters and uh if you got daughters you know they like to talk they would talk a hole into a brick wall and so sometimes we're on a road trip and we, I try and convince them to play the game of quiet as a mouse. You ever try and convince your kids to do this? Because I, I, I just need a moment, right? I'm just like quiet. And it, it is torturous to them. It's torturous for them to be quiet for any length of time at all. And so this is kind of a cruel command, isn't it? Jesus, I've not 
ever been able to speak. I've never been able to speak clearly and now I can speak perfectly and on top of it, I have the most wonderful story to tell and now you're telling me to be quiet? You're telling me not to speak? It's almost cruel, isn't it? This is actually something Jesus does quite often in the Gospels. I counted up six times just in the Gospel of Mark of Jesus performing some miraculous event he healing somebody that they had lost all hope and then Jesus after he performs this and they're so excited they're jumping up and down they're hooting and they're hollering they're so excited go and tell their family Jesus pauses them he says but don't tell anybody about this why is Jesus doing that I want to point your attention to Luke chapter 9 verses 18 through 22 Jesus was with his disciples there privately and Jesus asked them a question who do the crowds say that I am? I'm performing all these miracles. I'm doing these things nobody's ever done. How are people processing this? What do, what do they say about me? Verse 19, the disciples answered, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. But Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? Peter had answered, God's Messiah. That's the right answer. Uh, another version of this you are the Christ the son of the living God that's the right answer that's what the whole world needs to know right and, and so look at Jesus's response verse 21 they have the right answer this is exactly what the world needs to know this is what's going to set the world free this is what's going to redeem the world but Jesus strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one why would you do this this is the right answer this is what the world needs to know why why can't we go and tell everybody verse 22 saying it's necessary that the son of man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. Why can't we go and tell everybody, Jesus said, because the mission's not accomplished yet. The mission's not complete yet. And so it's not enough just for them to hear that I'm God's Messiah. They need to understand that I've come to take on the sins of the world on myself, die on a cross, substitutionary atonement for the sake of those who will repent and believe and I can save the world, redeem humanity. They need to know the full picture, the complete picture before they go and start preaching the gospel. Don't tell anyone because I got to first be killed, be buried, and be raised again. Without the death and the resurrection, the story is incomplete. The picture is incomplete. So you got to wait. Jesus is saying you got to wait till I've accomplished the mission before you can go and preach the gospel. Jesus dies. He's buried. Three days later, he comes back to life. Then he assembles all of his disciples. You remember this? And then he commissions them. He says, go and preach the gospel. Where? To the ends of the earth. Go and preach the gospel. Now he releases them. Now go and tell everybody. Why? Because the mission is accomplished. There's a lot of confusion about the intentions of Jesus especially from people who don't really believe. What do you do with this man who's the most influential man the world's ever known? What do you do with this man who has, has more drastically changed the world than anybody? We, there's still billions of people that worship this man. Every single week, people's lives are changed on account of this man's story. What do you do with that? A man who's had so much influence, he never traveled 200 miles from his hometown, never wrote a book, never led an army, never did anything generally associated with graces, but yet, most, most influential man's ever lived. And it's not even close. You, you can't even tell me who the second most because Jesus just overshadows everybody. And so you got to figure out what do you do with this man? And so some people say he's a teacher. 
And some people say he's a prophet. And some people say he was a major con man. And you can go on and on, all sorts of. And Jesus is telling us here, this is my intention. I've come to seek and save the lost. I've come to redeem mankind by dying on a cross and rising from the dead. Now go and preach the gospel. Tell people the full story. I'm not just a healer. I'm not just a miracle worker. I'm not just a teacher. I'm not just a prophet. I'm the savior of the world. I'm the son of God. Verse 37, they were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Extremely astonished. It's a Greek word, very strong Greek word that means super abundantly amazed. In other words, their minds were blown. They didn't know what to think about it. They had never seen anybody like this, never even heard of anybody like this. And they go on to say, he has done everything. He has done all things well. In other words, there is nothing Jesus can't do. He has done everything. There's no problem too big. There's no person too lost that God can't affect positive change. I met with somebody this week, and they said to me, they're struggling, got a major struggle. It's a real struggle. And they said to me, they said to me, uh, I've never met anybody that's got a problem like my problem. I've never met anybody that struggles like I'm struggling. In other words, they're saying, my problem is uniquely difficult. Have you ever felt that way before? My problem is nobody has ever experienced anything like what I'm currently going through. Now, as I'm having this conversation with this person, I didn't argue with them. I didn't dispute that. I said, you may be right. You may be right. Maybe nobody in human history has ever been through anything like you're going through. That may be true, but I do know this. The problem you have is not too hard for Jesus. Amen? No matter how difficult it is, because my God is mighty to save. He can part the sea. He can feed 5,000 with five loaves. He can bring the walls down. He can move the mountains. He can rise up the valleys. There is absolutely nothing that is too hard for my Savior. Amen? Amen. Nothing too hard. He has done all things well. In other words, when Jesus is done, all is well. Remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God saw all that he had made, and it was what? Good. It was very good indeed. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. You know this. We know that all things work together for what? The good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And so, friends, you may not see it today. You may not feel it today, but God is most certainly working in your life. But Jesus, we're going in the wrong direction. Uh, Decapolis is south. It's southeast. Actually, you're wanting to go north. We're going in the opposite direction. And Jesus said, hey, just chill. Just chill. I promise it may take a little bit longer, but it's going to be good. Jesus, why are you putting your fingers in my ears? This is uncomfortable. Please don't put your spit on my tongue. That's totally gross. Have you heard about COVID? Don't do this. This is weird. This is uncomfortable. Jesus, what are you doing? This is what you asked Jesus a question. Jesus said, oh, just chill. Calm down. I promise it may be uncomfortable right now, but in the end, this is going to be 
good. He does all things well. Jesus, why are you letting them do this to you? You can call down angels from heaven and stop all this. You can overthrow the Roman empire with one word. Why are you letting them lead you up this hill? Why are you letting them punch you in the face? Why are you letting them rip your beard out? Why are you letting them nail you to a cross? And Jesus said, just wait, wait three days and you'll see in the end, this will be good. Friends, what are you going through right now? Right now, you can't see how it's going to work out. Right now, it is uncomfortable. Right now, it may feel like you're going in the opposite direction. But I'm here to remind somebody today, when God is done, it will be good. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The word for mute here that Mark uses is a very interesting word. It's very rarely used. You can search the whole Bible. There's only one place that you can find it in all the scriptures, and it's actually not even in the scriptures. It's in a translation of the scriptures. You see, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew. Uh, right in the time leading up to Jesus, there were a group of scholars that got together, and they made a Greek version of the Hebrew uh, Bible, the Old Testament. It's called the Septuagint. And so that's the version that Jesus and his disciples, when they're quoting the Old Testament, that's the version they're using. And so this word for mute is only found in the Greek version of the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 35. Now in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah is broken into two parts. The first part of the book of Isaiah is all about judgment. It's all about how people have rebelled against God. They've gone their own way. They've gone astray. They've done evil things. And as a result, they're given over to the negative consequences of their sins. And there's all sorts of bad things that happen. There's judgment. So that's the first 34 chapters of Isaiah. is all about ju the judgment of God upon the people that rebel against him and reject him. Then in chapter 35, the tone of Isaiah changes. And it goes from talking about judgment to talking about redemption. It goes from talking about how God is bringing a curse upon people because of their sin to what God is going to do to solve, to remedy, to fix the curse. So I want to pick it up. Isaiah chapter 35 beginning in verse one. When redemption comes, the wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice in the blossom and blossom like a wild flower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it, the splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of God. This is the region that Jesus is in right now. The region of Carmen, Carmel and Sharon, that's the same region Jesus is, he's making his, his kind of crazy little out of the way voyage. It's the same region. Verse three, strengthen the, the weak hands, steady the shaking knees, say to the cowardly, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. Vengeance is coming. God's retribution is coming and he will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open. Look at this. And the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute. There it is. There's that word, rare word, only used. Mark chapter seven, Isaiah 35. The tongue of the mute will what? Sing for joy. The water will gush in the wilderness, the streams in the desert. Why did Jesus go the wrong direction to get to Decapolis? Why did Jesus put his fingers in this man's ears and put spit 
on this man's tongue. Why did he do that? Why did Mark, of all the stories that he could have recorded in the months that Jesus is going out of his way on this journey, all sorts of things happen. Mark picks this story to record. Why? Why all of this? To show that what Jesus did for this one man, he will one day do for the whole world. What Jesus did for this one man, he will do for the whole world. Listen, friends, there is freedom. There is healing. There is abundance. There is beauty in your future. One day, all the death that we see in the world, all of the, the, the desert wasteland that we see in the world, we look at things and we see it's hopeless. We think it's hopeless. One day, these desert places, these places that are marked by death will overflow in abundance and blossoms. One day, the death will hear those that are mute will sing for joy the people that didn't have anything to celebrate now they will be able to celebrate the people that didn't have anything to hold on to now they have something to hold on to because jesus has come what jesus did for this man he will do for the entire world and so i've been i've been really marinating on this story this week and there's been a handful of things i want to share with you just to kind of kind of tell you what to do with this some takeaways number one Jesus is your personal savior. Now we know that, but I think we take that for granted. Jesus is your personal savior. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord, if you've put your faith in him as your king and your master, feel him put both hands on the side of your face and look you in the eye and maybe say to you what nobody else has been able to say, I know what's wrong. Everybody else has misdiagnosed you. Maybe you've misdiagnosed yourself. Maybe you don't know what the problem is, but I know what's going on. And I want you to know that I'm gonna bring healing into your life. I'm hurting that you're hurting so bad, but I'm here to free you. I'm here to make things right. Feel that. Understand that Jesus is your personal savior in the same way that Jesus took this man away from the crowd and focused on him. He pushed the crowd to the side and he went specifically to this man. And not only that, he spoke in a language that this man could understand. In the same way Jesus did that for this man that was, was uh, dumb and deaf, he's doing it for you. In the same way, Jesus has met you right where you are and he's communicated to you in a way that you can understand that resonates with you to communicate to you. I know what you're going through and I hurt that you're hurting, but I'm gonna bring a healing into your life. Jesus is your personal. Allow that truth to wash over you right now. Don't take that for granted, my friends. Understand, God didn't have to do that. You realize that. God didn't have to come to your neck of the woods. He could have gone, instead of going north, he could have gone southeast, but no, he came and knocked on your door. He came to you and made himself accessible to you. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to step out of heaven. He didn't have to put on skin and bones. He didn't have to do that. He didn't have to walk up on Calvary. God is complete in and of himself. He doesn't need anything from us. He did it because he loves you. He did it because he has good intentions for you. Allow that to wash over you today. Feel the weight of that burden be lifted off to your shoulders. Feel the, the confusion and the uncertainty of how am I gonna navigate that? Feel that dissipate. Understand and know 
that the God who makes all things right, the God who lines everything up in the end, the God who does all things well, the God who makes things good, he is your personal savior. Now, now here's the thing, when you hear that, it, what it's easy to do is to make God serve you, like, um, like make God fit your agenda, but here's the thing, God loves you enough that he, he wants to lead your life. Because here's the truth of the matter, you're not as sharp, you're not as bright, you're not as put together as you think you are. Truth of the matter is, deep down, you're kind of jacked up. I am too, right? Amen? And so this, because this is what you're going to want to do. You're going to want to hear that, okay, Jesus is my personal savior. He loves me that much. Well, then he ought to serve me. He ought to give me the things that I want, right? He, he ought to do what I tell him to do because that's what's going to make me happy. And Jesus is sometimes going to tell you, no, we're going north. I know you want to go south, but we're going to go north. You've got to be okay with that. And so that brings me to my next point. Your job as a Christian, your, your job as a person who loves and follows Jesus is not to understand. Your job is to trust and obey. Let me say that again. Your job as a Christian is, is not to understand. It's not to have everything mapped out perfectly. Lord, give me a Venn diagram. Give me a wiki how of exactly, you know, how, how I'm going to navigate this situation. Just spell it all out for me, you know. That's not your job. Your job is to trust and obey. If Jesus says, let's go north in order to go south, don't get out your eye maps. It's wrong anyway. <laughs> don't get that out and say, Jesus, we're going in the wrong direction. No, put your walking boots on and get to stepping. If Jesus starts putting his fingers in your ear, don't say, hold up, hold up, hold up. Have you heard about infectious disease, Jesus? There's a pandemic going on. No, don't do that. Say, okay, Lord, do you need in my mouth? Uh, go, my nostrils, what else? You know, all of me belongs to you, God. If Jesus says, don't tell anybody what I've done for you, don't, don't come to Jesus and say, you know, I think my strategy for evangelism is better than yours. Don't do that. Instead, Keep your mouth shut if that's what Jesus has asked you to do. If Jesus is saying to you right now, you're supposed to be single. We got some young people here. Maybe God's telling you for right now, you need to be single. Well, don't go and make a Christian mingle page. Don't do that. That's not the way to go. If God is telling you right now, you're in the job that I've got you. I know you don't enjoy it. I know your boss is an income poop. I know that, you know, and you're fed up. I understand but right now, this is where you're supposed to be. Don't start putting the resumes out. If God has told you that you're where you're supposed to be, if God convicts you, you need to have a difficult conversation. Don't avoid the person that God's telling you you need to talk with. If God is telling you right now that your preferences in this life are sinful, your, uh, your emotional preferences, your financial preferences, your relational preferences, your sexual preferences, whatever your preferences are, whatever your orientation is to this world, if God is telling you it's sinful, don't argue with God. Don't take God to studies. Actually, instead, submit everything that you are, all of your will to God, trusting that he does all things well. Trusting that in the end, if I trust him, if I wait on him, that he will make everything in my life the way it's supposed to be. Your job isn't to understand. Your job isn't to make God fit your preferences. Your job as a Christ follower is to trust and obey. It's to follow Jesus even when you feel like you're walking in the wrong direction. 
It's, it's allowing Jesus access to places you don't really necessarily feel comfortable with him having access to. Are you tracking with me? That's what it means to follow Jesus. And here's the good news. He's got good intentions. He's not going to lead you to a place of disaster. You see? Everything he does for you, in the end, you're going to look back on this journey and say, I know it, it was hard. It took longer than I thought, but it was worth it. Here's the last thing. Those who haven't trusted Jesus as Lord are deaf and dumb. Now, I don't mean that disrespectfully, but the Bible clearly teaches us that apart from Christ, you cannot hear the words of life. Apart from Christ, you will understand science, but you can't comprehend reality. Apart from God, you will hear well enough to navigate this world, but not well enough to live abundantly. You will only listen to what you want to hear and as such, you will live by lies and be deceived. Apart from Christ, people cannot speak clearly. Their narrative is convoluted, confused, and uh, contradictory. I'll give you some examples. People that do not believe in Christ claim to be moral, and yet they reject any higher moral authority. People who claim to... Uh, who, who don't know Christ, they claim to know what is right and wrong, although they reject absolute truth. People who don't know Christ, who don't submit to the Bible, they claim to understand the constant laws of nature as described in your biology and chemistry and physics textbooks, but you reject the idea of an unchanging creator and a designer. You see how this doesn't make sense. Claim to trust science and yet clearly reject the ideas of biological male and biological female. We're living in a world that is deaf and dumb. Our God, the godless world that surrounds us, deaf, not willing to hear God's truth and dumb, living by lies, deceived. What's the solution? What's the answer? How do we help these people? Bring them to Jesus. What you're going to be tempted to do is grab the biggest Bible you can, maybe attach a, a, a handle to it, and just smack them upside the head. That's what you're going to be tempted to do. Put together the most elaborate and waterproof argument, post it on every social media platform you have, and then collect all of the tears in your coffee mug. That's what you're going to be tempted to do. But that is not the solution, my friends. It's not. What did this man have in his life? He had friends that brought him to Jesus. Not, not necessarily willingly. There was some aggression in that word. That word brought, it was almost like they grabbed him by the arms and they dragged him where Jesus was and they threw him down. And so maybe that's what you have to do with your friends and your family that you love that are separated from the goodness and the glory of God. Maybe you need to do what you can to grab them by the arms as lovingly as you can and bring them, expose them to the one who does all things well. Expose them to the one. Speak the name of Jesus over your friends and your family. I know this seems small, but there is power in that name. There is power. And if they can just hear the words, Jesus Christ enough, maybe they'll be inclined to pray to him. Maybe they'll be inclined to learn more about him. Maybe they'll be inclined to, to draw a little bit more near to Jesus. And when they do, when they do, things will change. 
What do you got to do to get your loved ones to come to church with you? Buy, uh, bribe them. Bribe them. Drag them here. However you, you say, oh, I'm going to take you to uh, the blue aisle. I'm going to buy you the biggest steak they got. Just come to church. We'll go, we'll go out to eat. I'll buy you an ice cream afterward. I'll come pick you up. What do we got to do? Expose them to Jesus. Amen? And that's what makes the difference. Because this is what has to happen. You can't convince somebody. Something supernatural has to happen in somebody for them to receive, for them to hear the word and receive the word. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has to do a work. And here's the good news. Friends, as you sit in that chair, you, have, you are fully equipped to be the messenger God wants you to be. Why? Because you have a story and you have the Holy Spirit. You've been upon your conversion. The moment you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the moment you surrendered, God empowered you. He gave you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit will speak for you. He'll speak through you. And you've got a testimony of you were in this place. God showed up in just the right way at just the right time with just the right thing. And he changed your life forever. And that's all you got to do is you go to your loved ones and you tell them Jesus changed everything. And then you let that story impact them. That's how we do it. Let's all stand together. Father, thank you. Thank you for loving us. And thank you for coming to me, Lord. You didn't make me find my way to you. You, you actually came to my neck of the woods. Through, through people I know, through people I trust, through people I love. And they loved on me in Jesus' name. And in doing that, it changed everything for me. And, and Lord, I'm so grateful today that you did that. Lord, I, I pray the people in this room will receive just the truth of that. Lord, that you are a personal savior. Not an impersonal savior, not a God who's far off. You're a God who knows the number of hairs on our head. You're a God that knows the number of days in our life. You're a God that puts both hands on the side of our face and looks us in the eyes and sighs deeply and says, I know what you're going through and I know that you're hurting and I hurt with you, but I'm about to save you. I'm about to heal you. I'm about to redeem you. You're a God that loves us that much. Help us to receive that today. Lord, I pray the weight of this life, the burdens of this life, the worries in this life, the anxiety of this life, I pray they're lifted off the believers here today. My brothers and sisters in Christ will go out of here with a lighter load today. Lord, I pray that happens in Jesus' name.